Hi, everybody. Welcome to 15-Minute Film Fanatics. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So here we are this week. We're going to be talking about In the Mood for Love, the 2000 film written and directed by Carway Wong, starring um, Maggie Chung and Tony Leung as the uh, would-be adulterous couple. Um, this is a movie that, again, we have not discussed. We don't discuss. We watch the movie separately, talk about it for the first time on the show, completely unscripted. In the first segment, we always talk about our overall impressions of the film, generally what we took from it. So, Mike, what are yours? pair of star-crossed lovers eat their noodles. Very good. Uh, this is a very interesting movie structurally. The story is simple. Here's the story. Two couples live right next to each other in adjoining apartments. Their spouses begin to sleep with one another. Out of some kind of morbid curiosity, they want to know more about one another, what they suspect. Once the truth is out, they want to know how a flirtation could begin. And through trying to figure out how a flirtation could begin, they find out that they are actually soulmates. But because there's a line in the sand that they can't cross, they never consummate their relationship. They both move on. They cross back and forth through each other's lives and then never see each other again. Absolutely. That's absolutely what happens. And I love how you said the word flirtation because not only do they begin they, they flirt with each other, but they also flirt with this idea of adultery and about like, are we ready to do this kind of thing? It reminded me of a film we've done before that this is the direct opposite of. And that movie is, it's a movie we both like, we've done it on the show. Think about how this movie is the absolute photo negative of body heat. Yeah. Right? Oh, that's good. Yeah. This is the only movie in which somebody rents a hotel room and it's not used for sex. Right. It's used because he wants to write his martial arts serial and she can come visit him and they could be alone together. I mean, who who make who in the world makes a movie about people almost having an affair, about people at the edge of a cliff, but not going over it? Movies are filled with adulteries. Right. But not, but to get this close to the edge is so interesting and so painful. Yeah. What, what this is, is that this is like the, the screenwriter and director are trying to surgically remove intimacy from sexuality. Yes. As the as though they're as though they're trying to remove it from the body of sexuality so that they can like bring it into a lab and examine it. And yeah. so this movie has there's no kissing. There's hardly any hand holding. All the hand once holding in the is, taxi. All, right. All the hand. But that that's pretend. Right. The right. first time. Right. right. And so this is very much like if you if you if you love Shakespeare and you're familiar with this kind of scene that Shakespeare does where somebody is able by pretending to be somebody else to profess their love. That's, that's really what this is. Yes. But it's not done in the way that kind of a Western movie would by nodding and winking to Shakespeare or by trying to throw in, in any, any hint of bodiness. Uh, this is utterly by, de by depressing. I mean it in like almost the technical sense where you, you can't, you, you can't do anything about it. You can't feel any way about it. There's no forward momentum possible because the film doesn't give you anything to go on. It just sort of is what it is. And you have to accept it. You have to like emotionally, you have to stop moving. And I just find this a very unique and compelling film. I've never really seen or heard of anything like it. Yeah. And I love how you said Shakespearean. I'm going to talk about that in part two, but certainly like saying Twelfth Night, 
where Viola, like she, she has to disguise herself so she could tell Orsino how she really feels. And, you know, Hamlet has to put on his antic disposition to, to talk freely among other people. But certainly here, you know, they start flirting with it. What a strange idea when they say somebody must have made the first move. You know, there's two, there's two moments in the film where you get the same scene twice. When they're right. trying to no, my husband wouldn't have said that. No, my you order, I don't know what your wife likes to eat. Like, oh, we're just pretending. No, we're not really, we're not really gonna commit adultery. She says we won't be like them. We're we're better than they are, right? But at the same time, it's um, you know, like Mick Jagger saying, if you play with me, you're playing with fire, because they do start playing with fire. For both of them, the the idea that their spouse could have cheated on them is is unimaginable. They don't accept it until they're forced to accept it by the physical reality of somebody across from them saying the same thing. Right, right, right. But it's imagining the unimaginable. Right. And it's two people trying to struggle with doing that. Even through the classic movies that we like, you're taught that that sex in a certain way is just what audiences want. Right. And you could, can present it in a classy way. You can present it in an upfront way. You can present it in over the top way. You know, you can hint and, and wink and, and nudge at it. This is presenting it in no way. Yeah. And, and that's why your heart breaks. It's 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 entirely it's entirely fascinating because I think what what they're poking at here is that what the audience actually wants is a is a kind of intimacy. What you don't have is a connection with somebody where you can really share something and they share everything. First, they sh they share a building and then they share an experience of being alone and then they share food and then they share uh, what's what's actually wrong with their relationship because it's the same thing that's wrong and then they share this dream that they can you know do have some secret creative creative endeavor with one another and then they share the dream that they could be together and be fulfilled but of course they can't because paradoxically the thing that's brought them together is that for them cheating on your spouse is unimaginable Right. And so for them to cross the line would be for, for them to no longer be themselves who fell in love. And to cross the line, of course, the movie lets you get very close to that when she when he leaves for Cambodia and, and first he's waiting for her and she doesn't show up. So he leaves. But then, of course, she comes too late and then she, she sits in the hotel room like what she realizes she's and like, that's it. Like you've missed you've missed the chance. But of course, to, to go to Cambodia, they have to be different people. And, and they're trying to stay true to who they are. Before you said that, um, you know, it's unimaginable that their, their spouses could be cheating on each other. The other great thing about this movie is that they can imagine themselves in a situation where they would be adulterous, where it, it puzzles them so much. Like, how great is this movie when, like, after they decide not to talk to each other anymore, you know, she, she doesn't go out for noodles. She's watching the other people play Mahjong and just sipping a drink and looking out a window. And and you get so much from that with the music on, like, what is she thinking? And then you cut to him in his office smoking and looking out the window. It, it's it's this movie puts so much into simple images of people looking out windows and trying to imagine, you know, what kind of person they are and, and, and what's going on in their lives. I love the apartment. I will watch the apartment, God willing, another hundred times before I die. But if if the folks who wrote the screenplay were really intellectually honest, like brutally honest beyond what a, a classic Hollywood film would allow you to be brutally honest, they would have made something like in the mood for love. All right. In part two, we'll talk about our favorite moments. So welcome back. In part two, we talk about our favorite moments, moments that we think epitomize the film as a whole. Mike, as you talk about your moment, I want to follow up though on what you just said about how um, if the apartment were more brutally honest, the film, the apartment, not the apartment in the film, um, that, that it, it would have looked different. It would have looked like this. What do you mean by that? Tony Leung in this movie plays a kind of Jack Lemmon 
character. If you can imagine Jack Lemon in the apartment, but his wife is like on a business trip or something, or sure. she's just she's a socialite, so he works at the insurance company. If you if you could just alter it a little bit, they would play the same kind of character, such that you could imagine that even if they were in a dream, they would dream about somebody else as the hero. That right. you know, right? There there is this Schlemiel. Right. And yeah. Tony Lung is like a Schlemiel in Hong Kong. Yeah. And so Hollywood films are allowed to show you what happens the 0.01% of the time, while we all know that certain things happen 99.9% of the time. This movie says, I can't show you what will happen the 0.01% of the time. I got to show you what happens the 99.9% of the time, which is that likely we have impressions or impulses of how life could have gone. But we've made clearly in the in the folks that they've married, both of them, they've made some kind of mistake. Yeah. Yeah. And Hollywood films show you the 0.01% of the time that mistakes can be rectified. And easily. This mo- easily. And this movie is about how some mistakes are permanent. Yeah. It's very easy to, to switch partners, so to speak, like a dance in, in classic Hollywood films or all Hollywood films. Or That's what people think. It's like there's a moment where he says to her in the film, I sometimes wonder what life would be like if I hadn't been married. Have you ever thought of that? And she says, maybe happier, maybe happier. And what you're saying, I think, is that it's great. Like in, in, in many other films, the person does get happier. That's what the movie's about. The person gets happy. But here you don't get that. Classic Hollywood cinema is, is, is also true. But it's true to the extent that it's an accurate representation of what our dreams are like. Yeah, yeah. And, so that's, the, and that's the way in which it's true. Yeah, absolutely. That was great. Okay, so let's talk about your favorite moment. Go. My favorite moment is when she compliments her boss on his tie. Mr. Ho. Because uh, it's, a, it's a present from his girlfriend. You right. know, and she's she's of course the facilitator of his cheating because that she's yep. his secretary or his girl Friday or you know whatever her role is at the company. Uh, but she says you notice a lot of things if you look, and we we've been sort of drifting through the movie up until that point, and I'm not I wasn't actually sure what function the boss kind of plays in the movie, but when she says you you notice a lot of things if you look. I knew that she knew and I knew where the movie was going. It was kind of the, this movie starts very abruptly. It's, it's this movie's impressionism, if you will, it's, it's cinematic impressionism. You know, if, if it were some kind of aesthetic ism. And so it, it's easy to get lost in the flurry of images that fade in and fade out in the first 20 or 25 minutes. And I would say that that's the anchor moment where you know exactly what universe you're in. And I, I found her look crushing. Like, no offense to Tony Leung, but if he was nominated for some kind of award, it was for eating noodles and looking sad. Well, it's funny because this movie is like Henry James in Hong Kong, right? You notice a lot. Like, I got to remember in Porch of a Lady, Isabel Archer figures out that her husband is cheating on her because he's standing up and Madame Merle is sitting down. Mm-hmm. And just because the way his body language is and the way he's standing while she's, she's like, they're sleeping with each other. And you love Henry James as much as I do, right? So mm-hmm. it's all about impressions and, and, and what you notice and what you see and also like a longing. I mean, it's, it's all there. That's what I kept thinking when I watched this. It's Henry James in Hong Kong. I think the boss as a, as a, is a function of the movie has to do with my moment. So my moment is about his friend Ah Ping. Um, and he's the 
bald crass friend of Tony Leung, right? Who comes in, it's like, oh, you know, I need $30. I blew it all at the track. I went to the whorehouse. Um, and I want to talk about the moment where Tony Leung goes to Cambodia. You know, he tries to, he, he has to get away from everything. He sees his friend there and he tells him that whole beautiful story about how a monk would take a secret and they would put it in a tree and then it was only they knew. And his friend says, I'd go get laid. And so you said before, like, you know, what's the boss doing in the movie? I think he's doing the same thing that Ah Ping is doing in the movie, which is that he's a he's like Shakespeare. It's a minor character who gives relief to the major characters. So Tony Leung's friend is crass. He says, I'd go get laid. This movie is this movie is about anything but quote unquote getting laid, right? His friend is the world. His friend, his friend is that that other um, you know, percentage of movies we talked about. And that when they say, you know, we won't be like them. There also won't be like they all, you know, the, the couple at the center of the movie also won't be like his friend or Mr. Ho, who has to do everything in secret, or his friend who's just crass, who just cares about sex and not love. And I just think that it's a, it's a great way that just like Shakespeare, you have minor characters illuminating aspects of the of the major characters. What Ping reminded me of. This was even halfway through the movie. I thought, man, on Monday, I'm going to describe this movie to somebody and they're going to turn out to be a Ping. But I just think it's a great thing, like you said about the boss, like the boss, the, the adult. Oh, the, it's the apartment again, right? The adulterous boss, right? That's a that's a, that's a stock figure. So Jack Lemon, the Shamil, has to take care of Fred McMurray, right? And so I think that the the point is that adultery is something that happens to other people. People, it happens to people in power, and your job is not to say anything about it. Your job is to facilitate it. So in Billy Wilder's world, you know, that's it makes a comic kind of thing where all the executives want to use Jack Lemmon's apartment. Here, she has to facilitate it, and and she's there's one part she says to her husband, "Well, can you get two handbags next time you go to Japan? You know why? Like, haha! Like, what a moral, you know, bankrupt person he is." And then all of a sudden, like that Venn diagram starts to get a little closer. So welcome back. In part three, we always talk about the title. There's certainly a lot to say about the title or the ending. Mike, how do you want to start us off? The, the movie sets itself a problem and then has to unravel the, the problem. And here's the problem. The problem is that two people in a very straight circumstance get kind of smushed together and they develop feelings for each other. And so the question as the audience is, how legitimate are those feelings? Because what happens is that, right, they start to they start to act out what they think would be their husband and their wife, respected, respectively, their their flirtation and to understand how some kind of romance could have brewed under those circumstances of living next to each other. Maybe maybe they're experiencing discontent with them. Right. So how do you stop this relationship at the center from being the mirror image of the adultery that, that happened? So the question is, are they really soulmates? Do they really love one another? Or is this circumstance that they just got pushed together and it's something that happened over the series of a couple of weeks or, or a couple of months and then ends? And so my take on the ending and the, the impressionistic ending that returns to kind of the structure of the, of, of the beginning, including the title sequences, uh, is that the, the movie wants to answer the question in the definitive, which is, Yes, they are actually in love. And the tragedy of the movie is, is that what, what seems like it happened under a pressurized circumstance will survive in an unpressurized circumstance, right? If they both kind of just move on with their lives after this happens, then it's, then it's good that they never crossed the line because that would have made them exactly the moral equivalence of, their, of the husband and wife 
who are never pictured in, in the film. But if they go on loving one another, it's more ambiguous what the nature of their relationship is or, or what the nature of their happiness is or what the nature of their spirit is. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because if you were going to start to claim that like, no, they were, they were, they were never really in love. Then I would say, Oh, come on. Then we'd have a, a battle royale on our hands. Absolutely. And of course they have moved on because she has a kid. I mean, she has, she has, she has a kid. Her, the, I think the implication is she has her husband's kid. Oh, okay. Okay. What makes you say that? Because she's finally moving out of whatever, whatever living situation they they have with one another. Or my reading of it was that she reconciled, she tries to reconcile with her husband to the extent that she has a very young child who would have, who's the, the exactly the age between when she would have reconciled yeah. and then yeah. moving out. She can't live with her husband anymore either because some kind of adultery has continued or, or something else. And so ultimately what she's tried to do has failed. Yeah, but it's still her son. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're right. You said her husband's gay. I thought you meant from like a previous marriage or something like that. No, no, no. no. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that, I think that it's great because what you said is that their love has to be real. It's got to be genuine, or you've just been taken for a ride or it's the director mocking your emotions and saying things like that. You know, what I love about it is you said that, you know, there's a problem and how do you solve it? And, and they solved it by, 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 it's so strange what what happened in this film. They solve it by deciding they're not going to do anything about it. And, and they don't just like, let's see where it goes. They, it just kind of like, you know, he puts the secret in the, in the, um, inside the crevice at Angkor Wat at the, you know, the Cambodian temple, which is so, so heartbreaking. Right. Um, and, and I think the implication at the end of the film is it reminds me of what Thoreau said. You remember in Walden, what Thoreau said, he said, the great mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation, quiet desperation. And that's what this movie is about at the end. It's quiet desperation. And you know, we don't know what happens to them afterwards. We're told in the beginning and the opening title credits that he looks back on things. You know, he wonders what, what could have happened. And that's what life is. It's a whole life is a whole series of, you know, this could have happened. That could have happened. But I think the movie does such a good job at the end by showing you they kind of they kind of pulled back. There's a moment in Moby Dick where Ishmael called the Triworks, where he almost falls into this vat of boiling whale oil. And he says, I was able to pull back at the last moment, but some people couldn't like Ahab can't. He goes full into the Triworks. Right? And I think that's what this movie's about. Again, they, they've managed to pull back. They don't do anything they regret. They have a terrible emotional experience, but they do the best they can. And that's why I think they have our sympathy. And that's why the movie is such a great stomachache. Yeah, since since you've invoked two great works of American transcendentalism of the 19th century, um, I'll invoke a third Bridges of Madison County, uh, which it, I, I don't know why I have such a bugbear or, or this that movie just irks me so much. Um, you know, for those of you who don't know, here's the movie summed up in 15 seconds. Um, a housewife played by Meryl Streep finds that her husband, who she doesn't really love, takes their two kids uh, who frustrate and exhaust her out of the house for a weekend. And she meets up with Clint Eastwood, a famous photographer, and they soak in the tub for an entire weekend, which turns out to be the only transcendent experience she ever has in her life. But it fulfills her enough that even when her dumbass husband comes home, she's able to dream about Clint Eastwood and get on with her life until she grows old and dies. And the only recording of it is in her diary. So for like this is also the kind of the anti bridges of Madison County. And I know and I know people who talk about bridges of Madison County as wistfully right but but what what this movie is what in the mood for love is is a portrait of two people who know that if you take a certain step you die yeah maybe maybe your physical self enjoys something but the the person that you are dies and so you can't 
there is no love and life after that death. Yeah. Maybe two different, maybe two different people who have the same names and historical facts about them might enjoy a relationship, but the two people that we are now in this moment won't exist anymore. And so in order for us to exist, we must be apart. And that's why unlike Bridges of Madison County or some other Hollywood movie, he can be right outside the door, right? Like a what in a Hollywood movie, of course, he would sense her. He would see her shoe. There would be some little thing about how she does the rug or something that would tell him that she's that she's in there. But this movie says, no, we move in and out of shadows of lives and people that we could have been. And it's not that we have some spider sense that tells us we never find out. The most he does is find a cigarette with her lipstick on it. Remember that? That's the most he gets as a clue that, of what could have been. And Bridges of Madison County aside, Hollywood and, and the stuff we watch and even the stuff we love to watch in pop culture is filled with this idea that adultery is easy and that adultery is um, justified, that it's OK because, you know, I don't really love this person anymore, but I like this person better who I just met, <laughs> who came to take picture something like that. And it's better for me. And you're going to root for me as an audience member because it's the right thing to do. And this movie says, no, 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 no. I mean, the movie's not called, you know, it's in the mood for love. And what is, what is, it's not in the mood for sex. It's not in the mood for passion or for a fling. That's why before I made the thing about body heat, right. And before you talked about the apartment, here's another Frederick Murray thing. This is also the opposite of something like double indemnity. You, you never believe for a second. And this is not to knock double indemnity at all, which we love that those two are in love. Like this, no love between Frederick Murray and Barbara Stanwyck. We know exactly what's between those two. But this movie says it's no, it's something a lot different. And adultery is a great plot device. It's a great thing to, to bring on a crisis of characters. And it's something that um, I think we've come to think of as a as a culture that it's kind of just like playing chess. Like, all right, you know what? I'll sacrifice my my pawn here for something better, and I'll sacrifice this part of myself. I'll break this moral code, and I'll sleep with somebody else because I deserve it, and it'll make me happier. And this person I'm with is a drip. Um, but this movie says no that that's that's not what it is. Yeah, and it, I I think it took a lot of courage on the part of the screenwriter director and immense imagination. To, yes. to try to show a connection between two people against the visual syntax, language, and grain of, of like movie every adultery. other movie yep. made for, right. for the past 100 years. The, the, the lady says to, to her, um, you get so dressed up to go get noodles? And then she's, she's in these beautiful dresses. She must wear like 30 beautiful dresses. She's dressed to the nines, right? She's unbelievably attractive. You have Nat King Cole singing in Spanish as she walks in slow motion, swinging her thermos. So there's all of that there that the, that the viewer is supposed to know what that means. And all they do is pass each other and look at it, look at each other. It's so, it, you're right. It takes a lot of courage because you, the audience expects you to follow through with that. There's another great thing I want to ask you about. Do you remember what happens when um, the first time I think Tony Lung asked about her handbag and she says, where'd you get it? And she says, oh, you'd have to ask my husband. They're not for sale here. Right. And then she asks him about the tie and he says, oh, my wife buys all my ties. Isn't it funny that they each ask about each other's accessories and both in both cases, it's like you can't have it. And that goes to what you said about being brave. This movie is about how you can't have it. It doesn't matter how much you deserve each other. Doesn't ever, shouldn't everyone be happy? And uh, it, it, it's very painful to watch because of that. Morality is often seen as the reaction of what others would do to you if you took a certain step, right? It's like the scarlet letter. If you took this step, we would shun you. And that's morality. 
but that's not morality is a fact like biology. It's right. It's like if you drink poison, you don't die because poison is wrong. You die because poison is poison and it will shut your body down until you can't breathe anymore. Right. And that it's there's there are some hard facts in this very impressionistic, visually stunning, almost overproduced movie. But they are very cold facts. They are unchanging facts and they don't change with our desire for them to change. They just are what they are. It's like physics. Yeah. And I, I think that the treatment of those kind of facts with such aesthetic beauty and creativity and imagination puts me in the mood to love this film. Yeah, absolutely. Because the hardest fact they have to face is that adultery is not a toy, <laughs> right? Adultery is not, it's not just a plot device. It's a real moral line. Right. They, they, there's no um, my truth for them. There's the truth. I mean, again, nobody makes a movie about people almost having an affair. It would be like making a movie about people almost robbing a bank. Like the, how, good. The, the entire force of Hollywood is against you. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation about In the Mood for Love. It bears rewatching and rewatching. Have you seen this more than once? Twice, I think. Yeah, so I've seen it twice. And you know, I know I'll end up watching it again. It was terrific. So you could follow us on Twitter at 15MINFilm. You could also follow us where, Mike? On Letterboxd. On Letterboxd, which we love. Go on Letterboxd. You could see what we've been watching. You could skit it. You kind of get a hint of what's coming up next. If you want to request a film, we take requests. We got some request episodes coming up. You can find us on Twitter. You can email us at 15minutefilm at gmail.com. Get in touch with us. Thank you so much for listening. And please, 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 if you like the show, um, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps out the show a lot or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.